0: Scripture reading for this evening comes from Mark chapter 4. We'll read verses 26 to 32. This is God's Word. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can be compared with, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. So that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: What I'd like you to do as we um, give our attention to the scriptures tonight, I'd like you to um, pull out your worship folder if you would. We're going to spend the next four weeks uh, looking at uh, a new vision statement that uh, your, your session has been working on over the last year. And if you open up to the very uh, first page, the very inside cover there, um, I just want to point out a couple things for you. Uh, We have here an effort to try to encapsulate in one sentence what we think God has called us here to pursue, called us here to do. And it reads, to pursue renewal and healing for all the people and places of Birmingham, through gospel ministry and word and deed. And then we have here what we are calling our, our values of gospel centrality, gathered worship, gospel community, and city focus. And then there at the bottom, our objectives or our goals, I suppose you could say, too. Connecting people to God, which by which we mean changing lives, seeing people have, have a relationship with the living God. Connecting people to one another, that is, building community. Now, the gospel creates a whole new community. Connecting people to the city, that we, we're not just circling the wagons in isolation, but we are a part of a place and called to serve and love it. And then connecting people to the culture, and by which we mean helping us to think about how, how do we connect our work with God's work? And for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is just look at... Um, That first sentence, to pursue renewal and healing for all the people and places of Birmingham through gospel ministry and word and deed. And we're going to look at it under four parts. Tonight, all we're going to do is look at the the word pursue and what do we mean by that. And then next week, we'll look at the, the couplet renewal and healing. And then the third week, we'll look at people and places. And then we'll finish by looking at word and deed. Now, just to give you a sense of the process that we've gone through, about almost a year ago, the first weekend in February, the elders here, we gathered uh, for uh, a Friday night and a Saturday, and we took and had, well, I had been looking at our um, strategic plan, which I think was drafted in 2013, 2014, um, just before um, we actually came here, almost now three years ago and reflected on that and the four words that came up out of that and decided we needed to be more succinct. We needed to look at that again. And so we spent that weekend reflecting on uh, who we are, what kind of church we think we're being called to be, and this is the, the culmination of that year-long work. We actually, at, at our most, uh, the last session meeting of 2017, uh, had the last discussion where we approved what you now have written down there in the, uh, the front page there of the, the worship folder. And just to give you a sense of how does this all fit together before we jump in tonight, think of the vision there as why we're here. It answers the, the why question. That we are here to pursue something, to be a part of something, to participate in something that God is doing in this world. And then if you think of our values, those answer the question of, well, who are we? What matters to us as a congregation? What are those values and qualities that uh, we believe are not unique to us as a church? These are things that any church should have in some way or another, but are characteristics and qualities that are particularly meaningful to us. And then you can think of the objectives there as the how. How are we going to pursue this vision? And those four objectives help to answer that question. So tonight what I want to do is I just want to look at this one word, the word to pursue, and and why we picked that word. A couple things to say about this before we um, begin to unpack it. As we talked about this and, and, and thinking through our vision We wanted to have a succinct one sentence that was active, that was doing something, that would indicate that we were here to do something. Uh, It's not passive or static, but it's active. That was one of the reasons why we picked that. But also, the word pursue, it's a process word. It's a word that describes um, activity that is begun but not yet finished. And it captures uh, what I think a very important biblical tension. And it's the tension that you face on almost every page of the Bible. That we are utterly and wholly dependent upon him. And at the very same time, he calls us to love and serve others. And that is a tension that you never graduate from, that we are utterly dependent upon His grace and His help to do the very thing He calls us to do. Now, as we talked about this, um, there's actually some really interesting conversations around uh, almost every word in this vision statement, which you might imagine when you get people in, in, in the same room and you start wordsmithing, but... Um, Here are some of the thoughts I just wanted to share with you that as we wrestled with how do we encapsulate what we think we're here to to do, why did we pick that word uh, to pursue? Here are some of the emphases and, and ideas that came out. One, it emphasizes faithfulness in the ordinary, it's not hurried, but neither is it lazy. It emphasizes faithfulness in ordinary. But it also emphasizes the process leaving timing and outcomes an open question. That word, it doesn't pretend to know when things will take place or even how they will or if they will. But it also opens up a whole new outlook that I hope to show in a little bit can overcome despair and expose naive optimism. It also, I think, promotes realism and it squelches triumphalism. It can help make us realistic and at the same time remain humble. And lastly, it carries a note of hopefulness. That hopefulness that effort is worth it. That trying, endeavoring is worth it and it's meaningful despite appearances because as we'll see, the outcome is certain. Now, where does all that come from? All that reflection, all those different uh, nuances and emphases. I think that where it comes from is from what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. Which is why we read from Luke chapter 12, and tonight we're looking at uh, these verses from Mark chapter 4, describing two of Jesus' parables. And the reason why I want us to focus and think about the kingdom of God tonight is because it is this biblical theme, the good news of the kingdom, that we are called to seek. If you had to boil down... What is it that we are to be about? Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom. And he even says, And your heavenly Father uh, longs to give you the kingdom. That the kingdom of God, to put it in, in other words, everything that he loves, everything that he longs for, everything about God that is good and true and beautiful and just and holy and merciful and gracious and renewing the kingdom. That's what we are called to seek after. And what I want to wrestle with tonight with you is how can we embrace that vision? How can we embrace that vision to pursue what God loves? And I want to look at just two points with you tonight and use these two parables to help us to see them, I hope. The first point is that to embrace this vision, we need, we need to see ourselves... As a kingdom people, we need to be a kingdom people. And secondly, we need to see ourselves as an already not yet people. So we are a kingdom people and an already not yet people. So first, let's let's look at these two parables. They're um, in many ways there, there are lots of similarities. They are both um, describe uh, sort of normal uh, everyday life, particularly in an agricultural setting. Where seed gets planted and things grow. And the first parable in verses 26 to 29 uh, compares the kingdom of God to this farmer who sows seed and he goes to bed and he, and he wakes up every day and he doesn't really know how, but somehow this crop grows and eventually there's a harvest. And similarly, with the other parable there's a mustard seed and it gets planted and it's considered one of the smallest the most the smallest seed and yet grows up into this enormous tree Now what I don't want us to do is to get lost in some of the details of each of these parables because the point of both of these parables really is their analogies to the kingdom of God the whole parable not just the details So what I want to do as I want to look with you at these two to to help us to see what does it mean to be a kingdom people? First of all, I want you to see in the first parable, the farmer, I want you to see the growth of the kingdom. Notice what we see here. It asserts, whenever Jesus starts proclaiming uh, the kingdom of God and telling parables of the kingdom, what you need to first think of is who is telling this parable It is the messenger of the kingdom. All of the parables of the kingdom tell us that Jesus is already at work. That God in Jesus is at work. The kingdom is a process that is already underway in the ministry of Jesus. And that will become very important in just a moment. And the reason it's important from this parable is that What Jesus wants us to see is that the fullness of the kingdom is as sure and certain to come as seed growing and producing a great harvest. That's what he's trying to say to us here. That the fullness of the kingdom that he has brought is as sure and certain to come as the seed that is growing and producing a harvest in this parable. Now, I want you to know something, though, that when we we put it like that, particularly when we're talking about a vision, you might be like, well, I thought you might pick a passage that might tell us what to do. And yet this parable actually doesn't tell us to do anything. And that's actually really important. It's a very important place for us to start. Because what I want you to see is the parable specifically doesn't address what we can or should do. Let me, let me show you why. Look in verse 28. Jesus describes that the earth produces by itself without the help of this farmer. And in fact, in verse 27, Jesus says that he sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows and he, ha- he knows not how. He has no idea how this is happening, but it's happening. Here's the point. The kingdom is first and foremost about God and his king, and not about us. One writer puts it like this, While people go about their daily routines, the kingdom is present and at work. We do not bring in the kingdom. We are servants of the kingdom. Did you catch that? What I want you to hear at the very beginning when we start looking at our vision again, we talk about to pursue renewal and healing for all the people and places of Birmingham through gospel, ministry, and word and deed. What I want us to think of to pursue means that you own your identity as a servant of the kingdom. It is not our great ideas, but it is a great king that we follow that moves and motivates us to pursue good things, beautiful things, hard things, for one another and for the sake of the city. So to pursue means to be a servant of the kingdom. So we are to be, this is the the growth of the kingdom. That the growth happens. It's guaranteed, even if we don't know how. But let's look at the second parable here, right after it the parable of the mustard seed, which helps us see the power of the kingdom. Notice here it's describing how the kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Let me. Let me. Just a little side note. I know. I know. For some folks, that they'll read that and they're paying attention and they know there's actually smaller seeds than the mustard seed. And really, all you need to know about that is that this turn of phrase that Jesus is using was a common proverbial saying in the first century. It's not making a scientific claim relative to all the other seeds on the the planet. That's not the point. The point here is the power intrinsic to that seed, the power that dwells within that seed. Though so small and so insignificant that you wouldn't even notice it unless you really bent over and looked carefully, that within this very seemingly insignificant, powerless, weak, and small thing, something beautiful and great and full of blessing emerges and grows to the point where birds come and land in its branches and make nests in its shade. And what you need to hear in that is a word of blessing, a word of comfort, of refuge, of safety, of welcome. Think of it kind of like, have you ever been down a a sidewalk before? And there's a huge tree, walnut tree, uh, in the grass. And as you look at the trunk, there is cement that has just been broken because of the, the roots of the tree are grown up under that sidewalk. Now, you would think, at first, how could a walnut seed do that? But see, latent within that little seed is the power to break up concrete. That's the kind of the idea that Jesus is giving us in this story. And it actually offers us a warning. Don't be put off by what appears unimpressive or insignificant, like this mustard seed. Because in Jesus' ministry, the kingdom of God will abound with blessing why is this such an important parable for us? I mean, there are any number of examples we could give. But think about your own life. Perhaps you have uh, friendships uh, or co-workers or, or family members or children and you enter into conversations or situations with them and it feels like it's the same thing again and again. Or... Try as you might, you make no progress in mending a broken relationship. And it feels like a mustard seed. It feels like the stupidest, smallest, weakest, most insignificant thing. And here Jesus is saying if you belong to him, you've been caught up into this kingdom that's like a mustard seed, that has power you've never known, that has power. To bring life out of death. That has power to bring blessing into your life. And into any person's life. That God would be pleased to pour it out upon. Do not be put off. By unimpressive or insignificant or weak things. Because that is where the kingdom is. It's where it begins. And so to pursue. Actually means for us to find hope, confidence, and encouragement in the power of Jesus. Think about that. As a church, we are here saying that this Jesus we believe has the power to change lives, has the power to make all things new. Do you really believe that? Does that change Shape your conversations does that shape the way you, you react when you say things you shouldn't say and move you to pursue forgiveness does that shape the way you spend your time spend your resources spend your leisure time we need to be people who are kingdom people We also need to be already not yet people. Both of these parables, if you notice, they they describe a process of growth. If you look in verse 29, when when the grain is ripe at once, he puts the sickle because the harvest has come. The end of this process of growth that began earlier in the parable after he scattered the seed, the seed has sprouted and, it's, and it has grown and now the harvest has come. There's a process, there's a passage of time. But also in verse 32, with respect to the mustard seed, when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade to be an already-not-yet people, what that means is is that you increasingly find yourself, your life, unfolding within a much larger story. A much larger story of God's plan to make everything new, including you and including me. And therefore... Every day when we wake up, we need to look in two directions. We need to look back to what God has done in Christ, and we need to look ahead to what He will do in Christ. In other words, the beginning of your day and the end of your day is not where things begin and end for you. Every single day begins and ends with what God has already done in Jesus And what he will do in Jesus. And to be an already not yet person. An already not yet people. Means. That that good news. That work of God. That good news of the kingdom. Is the viewpoint that you take into every part of your life. Now why is that so important for us? Because. There are two pitfalls. As individuals and as a church community. That we are. We will fall into it. I was going to say we're likely to. We will. This will happen. It has happened. It will happen again. And we need to know what to do when we fall into them. The first one is despair. Despair. We will have moments as a church and as individuals in our marriages and our friendships, as parents, as brothers and sisters, as children, when things just seem too far gone, there's, there's no hope. They're not going to change. What's the point? That's one pitfall. But the other pitfall is on the opposite end of the spectrum of what we'll call a naive optimism. That if we just put all of our collective resources together and harness all of our brain power and our strategies and our good intentions, we, we actually can change the world. Those are the two pitfalls that we are always in danger of falling into. And the reason they're they're so problematic is that the first one leads to passivity, to hopelessness, and to cynicism. And the second one of naive optimism, it leads to burnout and bitterness. And so what's the, the alternative or what we say would be a third way here? I was in in reading and getting ready for for tonight. I, I was reading one commentator and he had this incredible phrase that just stuck out to me. He said, What we need is mustard seed thinking. We need to cultivate mustard seed thinking. And what he meant by that is that we need to resist the temptation to disparage small beginnings. Or doubt what God can do. Mustard seed thinking. Put it this way. What would that look like in your life? Well the best place I know to go. To help you to see that. Is to look at the cross of Jesus. Throughout the entire story of the Bible. And even throughout human history. There is. Perhaps no more tragic event than the crucifixion of Jesus, who comes claiming to be the Son of God, in the flesh, equal with God, who heals people, uh, who preaches good news, who says he's a king. He's God's king. And the end of the story is all of his friends leave The religious leaders hate him. The political leaders hate him. The crowds hate him. And he dies naked, crucified, outside the city, forsaken. Weak, powerless, insignificant, ignored, rejected, despised. And the great irony is, what looked like such a tragic ending hopeless, despairing ending was actually the beginning of God's new creation. If that's true, and it is, then that means a couple things. One, suffering and hardship and disappointment will be part of our calling together as we pursue renewal and healing for other people. If you are a follower of Jesus, we cannot embark on this task and not own that reality. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to die, to take up your cross daily and follow him. It cannot happen. The path of suffering is the way to glory. That's the first thing. Mustard seed thinking means that you begin to take the cross of Jesus Into your life, and you begin to discover that the kingdom of God is about God bringing beautiful things, life changing things, out of that which is most seemingly insignificant. But what I also want you to see is that, like this mustard seed that grows into this beautiful tree, that becomes a tree of blessing, a tree of sanctuary, of refuge, so too is the cross. That even though it is a tragic event, it is the cross of Jesus that becomes a tree of blessing to all who cling to him. And it becomes that tree of blessing because it's first a tree of judgment, of condemnation, of ugliness that we deserve. But he takes upon himself in order that we might experience and know the blessings of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom that we might experience the renewal and healing that only God can give by His Spirit. So, as we begin to look at this vision, what I want you to think about is that to pursue, just that word, to pursue, means owning our identity as servants of the kingdom, caught up by grace into God's good plan to make all things new. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we sort of take stock of who we are and uh, who you have called us to be, uh, we ask that you would help us to respond to your grace and your forgiveness in robust, active faith. Not that is self-reliant, but that's utterly dependent upon you. And we pray that you would help us to be a kingdom people. Servants of your kingdom. Looking and trusting for you to do beautiful things. Through the smallest of means. And we pray that you would help us to be an already not yet people. A people who is honest and realistic about where we are right now. Not despairing nor being naive about the challenges ahead. But we ask that you would help us to look to Jesus, to His cross, to His ministry, and to find in Him the good news of the kingdom, the reasons for getting up out of bed every day, to seek after your kingdom first and foremost, knowing that you delight in, to give your children the kingdom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.